Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for Utah jazz basketball content from an analytical emphasis, fan-driven, and without any of the ads so you get a wonderful listening experience. My name is Adam Bushman. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Adam underscore Bushman. And today we're tackling three topics, the first being some trades that were proposed by national media members yesterday on a podcast. We'll go through those and what we think. We're also going to talk about Larry Markinen as an all-star, and I'm going to share with you some of the evidence I found that leads me to believe he is a guaranteed all-star. And finally, we're going to talk about the Oshai sighting, the increased playing time that he's been given, why that is, and um, some of the good signs that we're seeing. If you like what we're doing, please consider subscribing to the podcast wherever you're listening, uh, following us on social media, uh, leaving a review or a comment in YouTube uh, or on your podcatcher, and snagging some Jabber Jazz merch. All of those things will help us keep the content rolling and talking or jabbering Utah Jazz. Well, without further ado, let's Jabber Jazz. All right, so some trade talk is afoot, which is pretty fun. Uh, As we continually get closer to that February 9th trade deadline, we're going to to hear a lot more rumblings. And as we do so, we're going to try to talk about it on the podcast here. And the recent remarks about trades came from the the Low Post podcast. Uh, Zach Low Host had on Bobby Marks of ESPN, and they discussed four frameworks And some of them were more detailed than others, but we're going to kind of go through and comment about each uh, from what we feel as jazz fans and from the the jazz team perspective. So let's just dive right in, shall we? The first trade uh, was between the Utah Jazz and the Brooklyn Nets. Now remember, the Utah Jazz made a trade just recently with the Brooklyn Nets, that Royce O'Neal deal for that 2023 protected pick. So it's just important to realize when when GMs and front offices have interacted successfully lately because as we've seen with with Cleveland and other teams uh, it really does grease the wheels on future deals and uh, and increases the probability that something could happen so the exact framework of the trade that was proposed between these two on the podcast was that Jared Vanderbilt would go to Brooklyn and that Dayron Sharp, Kessler Edwards, and a 2027 Philadelphia 76er pick that is top eight protected would come to the Utah Jazz. So Vanderbilt to Brooklyn, those two players, and that 2027 pick would come to the Utah Jazz. So let's break this down a little bit more. Uh, some of us may not uh, be super familiar with Dayron Sharp or Kessler Edwards. Uh, so Dayron Sharp is in his second year in the league. He was a former 29th pick. He's a traditional big 6'11 guy, uh, only played 570 minutes between both seasons. So he's kind of an unknown. He, he doesn't stretch the floor. I haven't watched him play a ton, but that's kind of a little bit of the bill on Dayron Sharp. Kessler Edwards, he's also in his second year. He was a former 44th pick, second rounder. Uh, He is a 6'8 wing. Uh, He is a good shooter. Um, He has had really limited playing time this year, but last year he got some extended run. 
and uh, he was really playing well. Uh, good shooter, as you look at both the three-point and the free-throw percentages, um, they're more than in a comfortable range for him to uh, be a reliable shooter. But there's not a ton else that, uh, that really jumps out on Kessler Edwards. Now, mostly this, this trade is about the pick and then saying, hey, maybe there's, there's something there with Edwards, maybe with some more playing time, maybe with some more development, um, and with a team that, that uh, encourages sharing the ball more, maybe you know he pops and, and shows uh, even a step further than what he did his rookie year. Uh, and then, and then the pick, right? Obviously, uh, that pick could be pretty valuable. We're talking 2027, okay? So that's four years away. Uh, many have circled Joel Embiid as being a guy to, as being one of the next guys to ask out of of Philadelphia. We're already seeing that James Harden has has discussed going back to the Houston Rockets to finish his career. So it's possible that pick could be pretty decent. Um, and the Philadelphia 76ers have the upcoming have a couple other picks uh, in the upcoming drafts tied up too. So it's not like, you know, if uh, if some of these guys uh, ask out or if Harden just leaves when when he can next year in free agency you know it's possible that pick could be pretty darn decent so in a vacuum I probably do this trade um, I would prefer other de deals to be clear like I I think that um, a, a Phoenix Suns uh, package and trade I think that has a bit more traction um, I'd be interested in, in a package that included Vanderbilt to Golden State, possibly for like the Moses Moody, or maybe the Jazz include a pick and uh, are, are able to pry Kuminga away from Golden State Warriors. Um, so I prefer other packages to this one, but if in a vacuum, uh, I probably do this trade. Um, Edwards, I, th I think that he has some promise. And what he showed in his rookie year does give me hope that uh, that uh, he, he could he could hit, and um, all of a sudden, then um, you know you've got another young player, six eight wing who can shoot uh, in the pipeline, uh, and that could be really scalable. And like I said, I think that that pick from Philadelphia could be uh, could be really valuable. And, um, and, and more as a trade piece. I don't know if we make the selection or not, but, uh, but I, I probably do this trade in a vacuum, though I'm not rushing to hit accept. I'm, I'm probably still kicking the tires elsewhere around the league, uh, around some of the other deals that I may have mentioned, and seeing if those are a possibility. But um, in a vacuum, I, I may do this one. Okay, so let's talk about trade number two. This trade is between Utah and Memphis. Now remember, Memphis and the Jazz have done the Mike Conley deal, and so there again is some history there that that could, um, you know, that could facilitate some more trades. Uh, in this framework, Danny Green, contract filler, and a pick would come to the Utah Jazz, and Malik Beasley would go to Memphis. So here's the breakdown: Danny Green, uh, he is currently on a partial guarantee, but it becomes fully guaranteed if um, if the team doesn't you know release him uh, on January 10th. So you know a couple days away. So likely you have to just say, hey, it's fully guaranteed the rest of the year at 10 million. Uh, he is an unrestricted free agent next year, so that's some money that can come off the books. 
The filler is likely a young player with some promise, but not one of Memphis's top eight. So maybe you're talking uh, Zaire Williams. Maybe you're talking Roddy or Jake LaRavia. Um, one of those guys. Uh, and then uh, the pick is likely Memphis's own pick. They do have, you know, a pick from Golden State that's um, that's lightly, lightly protected. Um, but they probably protect whichever pick they send out to some degree anyways. Um, so basically you're saying this trade is about freeing up some cap space next year uh, and, and, and getting a pick. Um, now, Memphis, all of Memphis's young guys are, you know, pretty exciting. So, you know, you get one of them, uh, you're probably feeling pretty good. Uh, but in my opinion, this trade is mostly about kind of freeing up that cap space because Danny Green will do, you know, is, is not a cog for this year. And then you get that pick. Now, what about cap space for next year? Well, the... Next year's class is kind of devoid of really the stars, but you got a lot of mid-tier guys. Um, you got guys like Jeremy Grant out of Portland, uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis from Washington, and Fred Van Vliet from Toronto. So a lot of those guys could make sense on the Jazz if the Jazz wanted to. Um, to me, this trade just doesn't make sense. Uh, in my opinion, Beasley is a guy that we need to keep. Uh, in my opinion, we're gonna be needing his skill set at some point anyway. Okay, maybe not. Maybe right now we don't need the bent, the best bench shooter. You know, a top five three point shooter in the league. Um, we don't necessarily need that. But at some point, when we are competitive again, uh, like really competitive again, we're going to need his skill set. And I just don't know that uh, that punting on him um, when. When really, by all accounts, he, he 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 could be potentially, you know, finding his his um, his real real home in Utah. So, I kind of think that uh, if someone bulls you over on a trade for Malik Beasley, that you get like a really nice young player in a pick or something like that, um, then sure. But for this deal. Uh, I'm not pulling the trigger. Beasley's only 25, and I think he fits right alongside Larry Markkinen, uh, Walker Kessler, um, and some of these other other guys that we got going on. And you add a, you know, a draft pick into the into this mix. Uh, maybe you bring on you know Fred VanVleet or Jeremy Grant in free agency. You know, I think he fits right alongside all those guys. Okay, so let's talk about trade number three. This is a trade between Utah and the Golden State Warriors. In this framework, Kelly Olynyk goes to Golden State. James Wiseman, some contract filler, uh, comes to the Utah Jazz. So let's break this down. Now, James Wiseman was a former number two pick in the draft. Famously, he was sandwiched between Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball, and the Warriors picked him second. He's hardly played any basketball between high school, college the nba and g league um, for you know for being how how far he is into his career his third year he really hasn't hasn't had much time at all he's shown flashes but uh, a, he's been much maligned as not really having or, or playing up to par for an nba skill set and the other guy that's included in here isn't going to be a piece of value like it's not going to be Moses Moody or uh, Jonathan Kaminga or something like that it it may be um 
it's going to be one of their periphery guys, not not a core piece to Golden State. So basically, this trade is about buying crazy low on a former top pick in the draft. And in theory, that's exactly what teams in our position should be doing. You know, that's kind of what we did with Colin Sexton, kind of what we did with Larry Markkinen. Um, and I think in general, that's kind of what we would be looking to do with John Collins as well. And what potentially you could do with Wiseman here. In general, we should definitely be doing that. That's what teams in our position should do. We can afford to take a swing, and that's not going to set us back. If the swing pays off, then awesome. If not, hey, we really didn't give up too much to do it. But I probably don't do this trade. I think it's pretty important for the Utah Jazz to follow the Los Angeles Clippers model at center. The Los Angeles Clippers, they start Ivica Zubac. Ivica Zubac is your traditional center. He's able to play drop big defense. Um, he's able to operate in, in the pick and roll. He's able to offensive rebound. Um, he's able to kind of anchor that defense a bit. And he plays about 30 minutes a night. But every other lineup that they can deploy, the Los Angeles Clippers, is is able to stretch five out, okay? And they're able to do that the rest of the time. So when there's, you know, a matchup that really uh, that really rewards um, traditional drop-big defense, hey, then Ivica Zubac is probably playing 34 minutes a night. But when there are matchups that are a little more intricate or they want to lean into a stretch five uh, kind of lineup, well, then Zubac is maybe playing 20 minutes, and the rest of the time, they're five out, they're switchy, they are able to get out and run, they're able to blow up things. And I think the Jazz need to lead into that role with Walker Kessler. And for the moment, Kelly Olynyk helps accomplish or, or com further test bed that, uh, that approach. But ultimately, I think... Uh, Ultimately, I think we want, you know, another another player who can be a, a stretch five. We want more players who can who can kind of follow that LA Clippers model a little bit, and uh, and support Walker Kessler as that traditional drop big defense, and then deploy all other lineups as five out capable. And that's one reason I'm kind of high on John Collins. I think he could totally fit that model for us. So I probably don't do this trade just because, just because I think it's important for the Jazz to kind of go down that similar path, and um, and and with that similar approach to one starting traditional center and everyone else is five out able. Okay, the final trade that was discussed on the podcast was between the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans. So this one in this framework, Malik Beasley again would be going to the New Orleans Pelicans. And contract filler, which it's gonna, they didn't exactly talk about what contract filler, but it's gonna have to be, you know, pretty close to uh, 16 million. But contract filler and the 2025 Milwaukee Bucks pick would be coming to the Utah Jazz. And that filler probably includes some combination of Garrett Temple, Devontae Graham, Jackson Hayes, Kira Lewis Jr., um, some veterans, um, some players who still have a couple of years on their contract, uh, and then some young guys. Um, but the young guys aren't super young. Kira Lewis Jr. was still drafted a, a couple of years ago. That 2025 pick 
probably ages out Brooke Lopez. Uh, Brooke Lopez of the Milwaukee Pucks is probably uh, gone by the time 2025 pick is made. Um, maybe Middleton leaves in free agency this coming season, but if they do well enough in the playoffs, he probably returns. I still think that pick is is in the 20s. Um, so you're talking a uh, back end uh, or the bottom third of the first round for that selection. Again, basically this this pick is kind of similar to the Memphis one. Uh, Beasley for a pick and some parts. Um, it's not all that attractive to me, as is. I'm not doing it. Um, again, because I think Malik totally fits Kessler and the marketing and new draft picks um, timeline. I totally think he fits right in there. You're going to need a skill set at some point. But if you said to me, hey, forget about the pick. We're going to center this trade around Dyson Daniels or Trey Murphy the third. And then we'll we'll you know fill in the rest uh, with you know the the salary we talked about. So instead of the cent the the core of the trade being the pick, now the core of the trade is Dyson Daniels from last uh, year's draft or Trey Murphy the third from the previous draft, uh, or even if they offered Herb Jones from uh, the uh, from the previous draft, if they offered any of those three plus salary filler for Malik Beasley, forget even a pick, that one I'm doing in a heartbeat. That one I'm doing. Uh, I, I think that uh, Trey Murphy III, Dyson Daniels, Herb Jones, they all um, can can be just really fantastic players. And while I like Malik Beasley, I would take those guys' skill sets, their size, uh, their potential, um, and then... Uh, I think at that point, they're all uh, a more inexpensive contract, too. I would take any of those guys and some parts for Malik Beasley uh, over a pick and some parts. All right, let's now talk about Larry Markkinen being an all-star. I mean, the the dude just just in the Houston game put up 49 points, had a terrific line. Uh, man, we were all just cheering for him and, and gearing up to for him to uh, pass his career high, previously 38 that he had done twice this year, passed that and just kept raining, 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 and almost pushed that 50 burger which would have been awesome but uh, a career night for Lowry uh, super awesome and and right in the thick of, of all-star campaigning which is exactly what you want to see I'm going to tell you why I think marketing is a guaranteed all-star this season and, and and why honestly we shouldn't be fretting much about him getting a selection so let's get into it his line is absolutely absurd 24 and a half points eight and a half rebounds, nearly two assists, fewer than two turnovers on 9.6% true shooting above league average. So if you take league average, Larry Markin is 9.8% above that. That is how efficient he is. It is bonkers. If we just take the points, rebounds, and assists, okay? So the most the most uh, basic, your basic box scores stats that provide no context, uh, don't really don't tell you much about his game at all. But if you just take those things that that your average fan will look at the box score for, devoid of any context, 
and we worsen them by 10%. We say, hey, the points go come down by 10%, so do the rebounds, so do the assists, and the turnovers get 10% worse as well. If we do that, we find 14 player seasons that met those qualifications before this season. Okay, 14 player seasons. 12 of them made the All-Star game. 12 of them. The two that did it was Dan Isel of the um, Denver Nuggets did it uh, back in 1979-1980. Um, he had a plus 4% uh, adjusted true shooting percentage. And the Denver Nuggets that year were winning 33% of their games before the All-Star break. Anton Jameson also did it with a plus 0.5% adjusted true shooting. And he did it, uh, and that was in the 2007-2008 season. Uh, he, their team, uh, that team did, was winning 21% of their games before the All-Star break. Well, the Jazz, I mean, we're winning nearly 50% of our games right now. So if you think about that, the two outliers that didn't make the All-Star game from this absurd line had way worse efficiency than Larry Markkinen and whose teams were consistently underperforming relative to what the Jazz have been doing this year. Okay, so that's the first thing you got to look at. Just his raw numbers, it would be unprecedented for his numbers at his efficiency with how well the Jazz are playing to miss the All-Star game. That would be pretty. That would be pretty unprecedented. The second reason that uh, that he is, in my opinion, a guaranteed All Star is that is that efficiency. He is in the elite tier of efficiency. So if you look at the true shooting percentages across the entire league for people who have sixteen and a half true shooting attempts or more, true shooting attempts will combine field goals and free throws to say how many real shooting attempts did you have true shooting anyways the uh, only Nikola Jokic and Kevin Durant have a improved or a better true shooting percentage than Lowry Markkinen does given that volume Nikola Jokic back-to-back -back MVP maybe on his way to a third Kevin Durant Kevin freaking Durant top 15 player of all time are you kidding me those two are the only players that are more efficient than Lowry right now now, who are the guys behind him? Well, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson, Joel Embiid. All of them are all-stars. Larry, Larry Marcus is going to be an all-star, guys. <laughs> so here's the, here's the third uh, reason why... Um, Larry Markkinen is going to be an all-star. The Jazz are hosting in Salt Lake. Now, you may say, oh, well, that doesn't really mean anything. Like, you know, the Jazz could have, like... You know, been just terrible, and maybe Larry Markin doesn't pop. He wouldn't. They wouldn't automatically have an All Star. True, but if we look at the past twenty five All Star games in cities with an NBA team, so oh, the the NBA about fifteen years ago had an had a All Star game in Las Vegas. Since there's no host team for that city, we're going to take out that year. We're also going to take out the lockout year in 99 where they didn't have an All-Star game. But if we look at the past 25 All-Star games in cities with a host NBA team, 17 of those 25 had at least one representative from the host team at the All-Star game. 17 of 25. 
So what are the teams and years who didn't? Atlanta did it in 2021, which is a little odd because uh, Trey Young made the team the year before and is uh, made the year before. The Atlanta Hawks also were winning 44% of their games before the All-Star break. Chicago did it in 2020, even though Zach Levine the very next year would make the the All-Star game. They were winning 36% of their games ahead of the All-Star break. Los Angeles, uh, they did it in 2018. Uh, so those were the brutal years between Los Angeles Clippers and Los Angeles Lakers when both were devoid of any stars. Clippers were fine. Lakers were, were kind of bad. Um, Denver, back in 2005, they missed it. That is, um, they were at 45% win rate. The very next year, Carmelo Anthony would begin to make all of his all-star games. Atlanta, they they did not have a, a representative in 2003. They were winning 39% of their games. Washington, D.C. in 2001 won 25% of their games. They did not have a representative Golden State in 2000 had no representative. Again, 26% of their games they won right before the All-Star game. And New York in 1998, they did not uh, have a representative. The the year before was the last year Patrick Ewing made the All-Star game, and they did not have a representative in 98, despite winning 54% of their games. So a lot of these teams were about as good as the Utah Jazz, but... Most of them were way worse than the Utah Jazz. But even the ones who were as good as the Utah Jazz, uh, in, in terms of record, like that New York in 1998, they didn't have a player who was close to what Larry Markin was doing. Patrick Ewing was at 20 points per game. Um, yeah, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't all that close to what Larry Markin is doing right now. So barring big trades, the Utah Jazz are going to likely be above 500 by the break. We're going to have a softer schedule coming up when we get back home uh, and when uh, we're, not, uh, we're not doing three games on the road, one at home. Three games on the road, one at home. Like That's going to end again, and we're going to have some of those long stretches at home. And if we don't do any big trades, we're going to sneak back above 500. And that should put the Jazz in a prime position to have a representative at the All-Star Game in Salt Lake City. The final reason I think Larry Markkinen is an All-Star, uh, virtually a guaranteed All-Star, is we keep hearing buzz about him. You know, you, you listen to various podcasts, play, people are routinely talking about him as being a reserve. And when that happens, we saw that happen in years past with Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, even in Gordon Hayward's season, it, it happened. Now, the uh, year before Donovan uh, actually made the All-Star game, now they were talking about him. They were also talking about Rudy. It didn't happen. But uh, in the subsequent years, uh, they did. And and I think just with all this evidence, Larry Markin is a guaranteed All-Star. I think we can sign, seal it, deliver it. It's going to happen, and it's very, very well-deserved, and I'm really happy for marking it. Oshai Abaji has been kind of a mystery this entire year. Uh, everybody was excited to see him after that uh, Cleveland Cavaliers trade that sent Donovan Mitchell over to, to Cleveland, 
and we were all really excited for Oshai. You know, he's uh, he's six six. He's got the NBA body. He's got really good athleticism. He was a good shooter in his last couple of years at Kansas. And it was really, really exciting to have him aboard. But then we started getting into preseason and the regular season, and he just wasn't seeing time. And then he started getting sent down to the G League. And reports started surfacing that that really uh, he he wasn't quite on the same page with the coaching staff, wasn't doing all that they, they wanted him to do. He was really rusty. And the times that we did see him on the floor, he honestly looked lost, and he would just go and camp out somewhere. And that that really isn't that really is kind of a sign that hey you you don't know where to be and you don't know how to um, how to put yourself in a position to contribute positively to the team on the offensive end. But the last two games against Sacramento and Houston, he's seen some additional run, and particularly in the Houston game, it was at a high leverage uh, point of the game. So his first stint came at the very start of the second quarter. He played nearly five minutes. Jazz were a minus three during that time. Okay, perfect. Those are going to be heavy bench, uh, bench minutes. And so to be only a minus three, no big deal. Second stint was right at the end of the third quarter, and he played all of the fourth. And the Jazz were plus 11 during that entire nearly 13-minute span with Oshai on the floor. He finished with 11 points, a single rebound, 3 for 4 from 3. Honestly, it was good to just see him hit some shots, play an extended run, and just just be out there. Uh, Hardy said uh, prior to the Sacramento game that Oshai would be getting more, more run, that he would be getting more opportunities. And I think that is partially because they want to see what they have. They've given him a lot of time. It's halfway through the year. He's been down to the G League. He's probably shown some development in practice, and so they're probably wanting to give him some more time. And really, Rudy Gay has been really, really rough too. So playing him at the expense of some of those game minutes is not an issue at all. I actually liked how he looked generally. Uh, It felt like he didn't just camp out somewhere. Felt like he more or less knew how to move and complement the other five, other four players' movements to uh, make the offense successful. Um, If he goes 0 for 4, certainly this is a, you know, we feel a bit differently about this night. But, um, but, Outside of the, and, and because outside of the scoring, I didn't feel like he contributed all that much to the game outside of the shooting. So if he misses, you know, is there enough there to still justify playing him, that type of thing? But, uh, you know, I, I was encouraged overall mostly because, hey, you hit shots, maybe that affects your confidence a bit. You got some extended run, and, and hopefully that uh, that motivates and, and instills that confidence. I will say, though, there was a reason he was drafted number 14 overall, okay? And I think we kind of saw that in the Houston game. Hey, you know what? He could hit some shots. You know, he grabbed a rebound. He, he, has, he has basketball IQ, right? And, you know, he could survive out there. So there's a reason he was drafted number 14. Um, while we haven't seen that a ton, we saw it against Houston, and we were going to see it eventually, right? Like you don't you don't get drafted to the NBA and then not have any flashes ever. That just doesn't happen. You always see the flashes of a player and and why they were drafted where they were. 
but um, but it's not always certain that you see uh, all those flashes strung together that that can that um, motivate more playing time and, and demand more of a role. And I would just say that one good game doesn't change any of that, nor would one bad game. If he misses all those shots, we feel no different about Oshad than we did after the Sacramento game, if he misses all those shots. Because one game doesn't doesn't change that either way. And so one good game isn't isn't convincing me that he is all of a sudden going to fulfill everything I thought he maybe could at the start of the season. But nor would he have, if he had gone 0 for 4 with 2 points and a rebound, uh, 0 for 4 from 3, finished with 2 points and a rebound, that game with 17 minutes wouldn't have convinced me any more than I was already convinced that, hey, he may not be an NBA player long term. So we got to keep evaluating. we got to keep seeing. Hopefully, hopefully he is able to start proving that he is a real NBA player, that he belongs on the Jazz long term, and because that would be really, really massive, really, really massive for him to hit and be a contributing player. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If you have, and if you like what we're doing, please consider subscribing to the podcast, following us on Twitter, at Jabber underscore Jazz, liking and subscribing on YouTube, leaving us a comment or a review if you'd like, and then scoring some Jabber Jazz merch. All of those things will help us keep feeding you Utah Jazz basketball content with this analytical emphasis and without any of the ads that get so annoying. Well, thank you so much again, and without further ado, let's leave you with some sounds of jazz.